Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. What a what an awesome privilege it is to worship the Lord together. Amen. Amen. Well, children, you are dismissed for children's worship. If everyone else will go ahead and take your Bible and open with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verses 1 through 13 as we are revealing the mystery of Christ. Now here, remember, Paul is revealing the mystery of Christ for the church at Ephesus. And in the text, we see four we see uh, the mystery of Christ revealed. Wow, let me try that in English this time. In the text, we see the mystery of Christ revealed in four ways. Now, last week, we looked at the first two ways. And so this week, we're going to focus in on the last two ways while reviewing just a touch of what we looked at last week. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start back in verse 1. We're going to read through the entire 13 verses. We're going to pray. And we're going to walk through the text together again, looking for how... How God has revealed to us the mystery of Christ. So look with me now, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then notice, he, he sort of goes off just for a moment. He sort of sidetracks himself. And that's really what we have in verses 2 through 13 is Paul's sidetrack, if you will. So he begins in verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, verse 7, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let's pray. Lord, we are just thankful again for the opportunity that we have to gather together this morning and to sit underneath the authority of your word. Lord, waiting and longing to hear a word from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us now through this text, that you might be glorified in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we want you to have your will and your way in us and through us now. And so, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Help us to take full, uh, Lord, uh, Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Help us to be used for your glory. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. 
Amen. So again, the re- here we see that we are revealing the mystery of Christ. And in the text, we see four ways. Now, I want to back up to verses 1 through 6 as we sort of remind ourselves of what we saw last week. So the first way in which the mystery of Christ was revealed is that the mystery of Christ was revealed according to God's timing. If you look back at verses 1 through 5, here's what Paul is making clear. That there is a mystery. Remember that term mystery is a term that Paul always uses uses to refer to something that was hidden in the past but has now been made known or has now been revealed it's not still a mystery it was a mystery and Paul says that that mystery was not revealed to the prophets of old they got a glimpse of it remember that they got a they got a snapshot of it but they didn't get the clear picture of what God was going to do in God's redemptive plan in God's plan of salvation they got a picture of it but they didn't didn't see the full picture. It was a mystery that was hidden that Paul says is now being revealed and it's being revealed according to God's timing. God made it known not to the prophets of old in full, but God has now made it known, Paul says in his time, to the holy apostles and the prophets. So that as we stand here today reading this letter that Paul has written to the church at Ephesus, we stand here today knowing full well what the mystery is. Why? Because it was revealed according to God's timing. But then we also saw that the mystery of Christ was defined according to God's revelation look back with me in verse 3 real quick it says how this mystery was made known to me by revelation in other words this is not paul's guess at what it is this is god telling paul what it is what is it look with me in verse 6 the mystery is this that the gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in christ jesus through the gospel And as we looked at that term mystery last week, we saw that Paul used it in chapter 1. He uses it here in chapter 3 multiple times. He uses it in chapter 5. And he uses it again in chapter 6. And every time he uses that term mystery, he is referring to some aspect of the gospel. And what we see here is that the gospel has been revealed. It has been made known, not by the wisdom of God, I mean man, but according to God's revelation. And then where we're going to pick up this morning is in verse 7, where we see that the mystery of Christ was given to be declared by the church. Now, look with me now in verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of of God's grace. As a matter of fact, if you go back up to verse 2, Paul sort of began this train of thought by telling them that he had been made a minister or an ambassador for the sake of the Gentiles. And he picks up that very same thought in verse 7, and he says that he has been made a minister of God's, a minister of this mystery, a minister of the gospel. And notice, He says, according to God's grace, it was given to me. Again, notice the emphasis that Paul continues to put on grace that was given to him. In other words, Paul is saying this, I am not and was not worthy of the gospel. I've got news for you. You are not worthy of the gospel. None are worthy of the gospel. The gospel. Amen? 
We have all fallen short. We have all come up well, well short of God's glory, right? There's none who does good, none who understands. Back in verse chapter 2, we are enemies of God, children of wrath, sons of disobedience. We are not worthy of the gospel. Paul says that it was God's grace that led to his salvation. But not only was it God's grace that led to Paul's salvation, Paul says that it was God's grace that God gave me this gift of being able to minister the gospel to others. Notice what he says. Again, look with me in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He says, which was given to me by the working of his power. Notice it was God that called him. It was God that saved him. And then God that tasked him to preach the gospel. And notice that it was God that empowered it for the sake of the gospel. So Paul says, I stand before you having nothing to offer, having nothing in and of myself. It's God that's done it all. Right? God saved me. God called me. God sent me. God empowers me. God's doing everything in order to reveal the mystery of the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul says, it is my uh, privilege to be able to do it. Notice again the emphasis, grace, gift, given. Do not miss what an honor and privilege it is to minister the gospel to others. Paul says, it is my privilege, it is my great honor that God has called me to preach the gospel and to minister it to others. And by the way, where's Paul writing from? Prison. Even in prison, Paul says, I can't get over the fact that God graced me with this gift to preach and to minister the gospel to others. And so whether you are preaching, whether you are evangelizing, whether you are discipling, whether you are encouraging, whether you're preaching from a pulpit, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching your children or your grandchildren, it is an honor that God allows us to minister the gospel to others. Amen? Because we are not worthy of such great a task. And it is an honor that God uses us, and it is comforting that God empowers us for it. Amen? I'm so thankful that God doesn't ask me to do this on my own power, that God promises he will empower us through the working of the Spirit in our lives. And so notice, Paul says that this was given to me, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul was a former persecutor of the church. He was the least of all the saints. Of all people, Paul was not worthy to be an ambassador for Christ. But in God's great honor, I mean, God's great sense of humor and in his great irony he took the one that was persecuting the church and he turned him into the greatest evangelist for the church right because god comes to paul and says what do you think you're going to do how far do you think you're going to get kicking against the goads or fighting against me why don't you switch teams why don't you understand who the truth is and why don't you start using this zeal and passion you have to declare the truth instead of to reject the truth right And at that moment on the road to Damascus, Paul gives his life to Christ as God calls him into the ministry. And Paul's life was turned upside down all because of God's grace. And Paul says to me, this was given so that I could notice verse 8, preach to the Gentiles. And so what does Paul preach? Well, notice again in verses 8 and 9. First of all, he says, I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Notice that term, the unsearchable riches of Christ. What does that mean? It means that you and I cannot comprehend the truth of the gospel unless God reveals it to us. Think about that for a moment. Paul says elsewhere that the gospel is foolishness to man. Paul says that the gospel isn't according to the wisdom of man. It doesn't make sense to us that God would love us, sinners, filthy rags, so much that he would send his own son to die on behalf of those that rejected him. That doesn't make, that's not how we operate. Amen? That's not what we do, right? We, we, don't, we don't give our children as a sacrifice to those that hate us and reject us and despise us. That's what God did. It's foolishness to man. And it only makes sense if God reveals it to us. It's the unsearchable riches of Christ. But notice, Paul says, I preach this, notice verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery. Paul says, I preach the unsearchable riches and richness of Christ because I want everyone to know what God's plan was from the beginning. You see, too often... We fall into this false narrative, this false idea that in the Garden of Eden, God had created everything perfect, which he did, everything very good, which he did. And then when sin crept in, it's almost as if God was caught off guard by surprise. That is not the truth, amen? God knew that we were less than him. He knew that there was no way we would fulfill and obey his commands. And so he was prepared from the very beginning before the foundations of the world. God's plan to save mankind was not creation. It was Jesus, right? He knew that we wouldn't be saved through the Garden of Eden. He knew that we would only be saved through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I'm preaching this because I want to bring the gospel to light. I want everyone to know what the mystery is. I don't want it to be hidden any longer. I want everyone to know the truth of the gospel. That this was God's plan from the beginning. God's plan was always Jesus. As foolish as that sounds to us, God's plan from the very beginning was his very own son dying on a cross as a sacrifice for us. That was God's plan. And notice what Paul says about this God in verse 9. He says, He says, uh, excuse me, he says to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. By the way, this plan doesn't come from just anyone. It comes from the God who created all things. Right? So we're in the middle of baseball season over here, and and I'm one of the coaches that's helping coach Noah's team. And and when I say coach, I'm I'm a dad that's willing to put on a free T-shirt and go out onto the field and help coach. Right, but as I'm coaching, it's quite funny. We've we've got some some dads there that know a lot about baseball. We got some dads like me that are just there, willing to volunteer and help out. And uh, we had some friends come to the game the other night, and uh, they were sitting in the crowd. And after the game, they they came to me. One of the the, the dad kind of came to me laughing. He said, "Yeah," he said, "So and so, he um he doesn't think y'all know what you're doing out there all the time, does he?" And I kind of laughed. I was like, no, no, no. He, he definitely doesn't think we know what we're doing all the time. He, he thinks he knows better than us when it comes to coaching baseball. And here's the reality. He does. Right? Way better coach. Knows way more about baseball. Lives it and breathes it way more than I ever want to. Amen? 
Because reality is, I really don't care all that much. I'm just out there to have a good time. My son's out there to have a good time. Not that big of a deal. Not life or death to me. Right? And so if you're evaluating my coaching style, if you come out to the ball field and you say, well, he's the coach. He ought to know everything. Not this coach. Right? My plan is not always going to be a good plan. Right? Sometimes my plan is it's hot outside. Let's get out of here as quick as we can. Right? My plan, not the best baseball plan. Right? And sometimes we, we look at God's plan of salvation and we say, there had to be a better way. There had to be a way that would make sense to us. And Paul says, no, no, no. This was the plan of the God who created all things. There's no one who knows better. There's no plan that could have been better. This is God's plan of salvation that came from the God who created all things. Amen? And Paul says, I have been privileged to be a minister of the gospel, to preach the mysteries of Christ. But then notice what he says in verse 10. He says that this is something that Paul has been called to do, but notice, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, God tasked me to be the minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, but now, Paul says, it has been given to the church. By the way, Paul's gone. He's in heaven. Who's left? Us. Amen. The church. We're left. And what have we been commissioned to do? To make disciples of all the nations. What was once given to Paul and the apostles has now been given to the church. Why? So that notice what it says in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, that's an awesome word, by the way. Look at the phrase, manifold wisdom of God. The term there, manifold, it's a term that means multi-sided or multifaceted, and it speaks to an intricate detail of God's plan of salvation that has more than one side, but has many, 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 many different sides. And so what Paul says is that God's plan of salvation is so intricate and so detailed that it's hard for us to even fathom. And it is actually the church that God uses to bring to light, to make known the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God. In other words, God sees everything from all sides and never misses a detail. That is amazing, by the way. Amen? Do you think about that? Think about any project that you've ever tried to accomplish, whether it was a school project, whether you were building something, whether you were doing something, no matter how awesome we are at whatever it is, we always miss something, right? We always didn't see something coming, and then we have to figure it out as we go from there. God never misses a detail. Nothing caught him by surprise. And it is the church that reveals the manifold, the multifaceted wisdom of God in salvation. How? Because it is the church that is the bride of Christ that reveals God's glory and the magnitude and the perfection of his plan. That God would take man who is divided and unify them 
so that every tribe, nation, tongue, race, and people would become one person in Christ. Amen? Listen, government can't figure out how to unify us, right? We people can't figure out how to unify us, right? Even in the church, we can't always figure out how to be unified. Amen? But through the gospel, God has brought unity so that we are all unified in and through our faith in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what language you speak. Doesn't matter what skin your what color your skin is. Doesn't matter where you come from, what your culture is, what your status is, how much you make. It doesn't even matter what color of carpet you prefer. Right? Because we've got churches that get divided over color of carpet, right? Color of walls. Right? And I remember when we painted our walls years ago, people, we, we had opinions over what color to paint them, right? We don't all agree, right? That's, that's when I learned that eggshell was not just something that, you know, wraps around an egg, but it's apparently a color as well. It's like, whoa, I didn't know that. I thought there was only a few colors, white, black, and those other seven, right? Right? But listen, all those things can divide us, but through the manifold wisdom of God, the gospel unites us. And it unites us into one body, one promise for all of eternity. That's a good plan. Amen. But notice, not only is the manifold wisdom of God made known through just just the existence of the church, but the church makes known the mystery of God. It reveals the manifold wisdom of God by continuing to make the gospel known and continuing to grow. You see, the church still adds to its numbers by declaring the gospel today and thereby fulfilling the Great Commission. This happens through preaching evangelism and making disciples of the nation. That is why when we want to figure out how to make the kingdom grow, when we want to figure out how we want to make the church grow, whatever we come up with has to be founded upon the gospel. Because it is through the preaching and the declaring of the gospel that the kingdom grows, that the church is actually expanded. Listen, there's a lot of churches out there that have figured out how to get a lot of people in the door, right? And and there's a lot of different methods as to how we can do that. And I'm not saying all those methods are bad. What I'm saying is this, any method that isn't first and foremost founded on the gospel is a method that might bring people in the door, but it doesn't add people to the kingdom. Amen? And we want to make sure that whatever method we come up with, whatever we try to do, that it is ultimately founded on the gospel because it is through declaring the gospel that the church makes the mystery of Christ known. And it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is made known. But now I want you to notice, because verse 10 doesn't end like we think it's going to end, right? Notice what it says. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to. We want to, we, we're like, we're expecting to the world, right? To the lost, right? To the, to the whatever. What we're not expecting is what it says. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, right? We, we're like, rulers, authorities, okay, we're okay with that because he must be talking about like those in high-ranking officials. But then he says in the heavenly places, we're like, wait a minute, is he talking about angels? And demons? Surely not. Well, then we fast forward to chapter 6 and we realize, oh no, that's what he's talking about, amen? Because we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
And we realize that what Paul has in mind is that it is through the church that God's glory is made known not just to us, but even to those principalities above. Now, we don't fully understand, we don't fully comprehend, but what we do know is that when we are tasked with declaring God's salvation to the nations, even the powers, good and bad, in heaven take notice. As a matter of fact, remember what we saw last week in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12. through 12. Listen as I read. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So the Old Testament prophets, they tried to figure it out. Verse 11, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Those prophets, as they were prophesying, they were trying to figure out who the prophecy was concerning, and when it would happen. They were desperately hoping it would happen in their lifetime, that the Messiah would return in their lifetime. That's what they were hoping for. However, verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the future, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this last phrase, things into which angels Long to look. Again, we don't fully understand because we're not there. But here's what we understand just logically. Angels, the the, the wicked forces of evil that are around us, they only have one thing to worry about. And that is who is Christ? What has he done and what is coming? Right? They're not worried about nine to five. They're not worried about making ends meet. They're not distracted by the cares of this world, right? They're in heaven. They're in the heavenly places. They are focused on one and one thing only. Who is Jesus, right? And the cool thing is they know who he is. Amen? And so I love what Peter says. He says that the Old Testament were prophesying it. He says the, the, the angels were looking into it. But all of this was happening for who? For us. God's sons and daughters. Amen? Who remember, according to Hebrews, are higher than the angels. Because we're the children. We're not the servants. We're not the messengers. We are the sons and daughters of God. And so although we don't fully understand all that it means, what we are told in verse 10 is that the mystery of the gospel has now been given to us to make known. And that as we make it known, God is glorified both on this earth and even in the heavens. Amen? And so we want to do our part to make the gospel known. The mystery of Christ was revealed according to God's timing. The mystery of Christ was defined according to God's revelation. The mystery of Christ was given to be declared by the church. And then fourthly, the mystery of Christ was revealed according to God's purposes. Look with me in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul says this, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In verse 11, Paul makes it clear that salvation in all of its intricate details was God's plan from eternity. So what was God's plan? Well, it's what Paul has already revealed. First of all, 
Paul says that the gospel message, that man sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, ushering in death and judgment for all mankind, that God sent his son to die in our place so that our sins could be paid for, that Jesus was buried and then rose from the dead three days later, having paid for sin and defeated death, that we were chosen and predestined before the foundations of the world by God to place our faith in Jesus, accepting his payment for our sins, that God not only calls us, but opens our eyes to the truth and enables us to accept his gift of grace. That we are then able to believe, repent, and follow Jesus in our lives. The gospel God has given us to make known. And the gospel was a part of God's eternal purposes and plans. Amen? But not only the gospel message, but also the ramifications or the implications of the gospel. What are they? Well, what Paul has already showed us in this book. This letter, that we're united together as the body of Christ, no longer separated separated by race, language, nation, and status, that Jews and Gentiles are no longer two but one in Christ, sharing in the same body and promise, that this has happened so that God's glory is on display in the earth and even to the principalities above. And all of this has happened exactly how God wanted it to happen. Amen? This perfect salvation plan has been God's plan and was God's plan from the beginning. It wasn't plan B, it was plan A, it was the only plan. And it has come about just as God declared it would. This was the eternal purpose of God. And notice it was accomplished, verse 11, through Christ Jesus our Lord. It was accomplished only through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's not the only implications of the gospel, but look at what it says in verse 12. Because of Christ Jesus, in whom, in him, we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You see, because of what Christ accomplished for us, because of what God has done in bringing about our salvation, we now have confidence and boldness. We have access into his presence. So that we can come to the Father not in fear but in confidence with boldness because of who we are in Christ. Well, who are we in Christ? We're sons and daughters. Amen? We've been adopted into the family of God. We were children of wrath and sons of disobedience, but now we've been adopted into the family of God. We are sons and daughters. And as sons and daughters of God, we are able to enter into his presence with boldness and confidence knowing he loves us and knowing he wants what's best for us. That's the boldness and confidence, by the way, right? I can enter in his presence with boldness and confidence because I know that he is my father and I know that he loves me. Therefore, I'm allowed. I have access, amen? But I'm able to enter into, into his presence with boldness and confidence because I know that not only am I permitted, not only am I supposed to be there, but he loves me. And he wants what's best for me. Amen. So that as I come before him, as he answers my prayers, as he directs my life, I know that even, my, even though I might not understand it all or even like it all, I can have full confidence because he loves me and wants what's best for me. Amen. And Paul declares this from where? From prison. As a matter of fact, notice the correlation between verse 12 and what Paul says in verse 13. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. 
You see, the gospel is such good news for all mankind that it is absolutely worth suffering for. Amen? Y'all didn't sound too excited, right? Because let's be honest, that doesn't sound exciting to us. But I'm just telling you that Scripture makes it clear that the gospel is so worth declaring that it is also worth suffering for. And so Paul says in verse 13, I don't want you to lose heart to be discouraged or to even be in fear because I'm in prison writing this letter to you. I want you to know that my suffering is ultimately for your glory. Now remember, man never receives glory unless that glory points back to Christ. Right? I, 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 never, I never am going to be in a position where God's going to bring me glory unless what God does in me ultimately points back to Him. Amen? So how did the Ephesians bring glory to themselves that ultimately was glory to God? It was through their salvation. It was through God taking the Ephesians who were sons of disobedience and children of wrath and God bringing about their glory, changing them into sons and daughters of God through salvation, which ultimately brings God the Father the glory. Amen? And so what Paul says in verse 13 is this, don't get discouraged because I'm, a, because I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because ultimately, suffering for the sake of the gospel is what has led to your salvation. So here's what I want you to understand. We do not suffer in vain. God always uses it in some way, shape, or form to advance the kingdom and to bring him glory. We may not understand it. We may not even live to see it. But God always uses it for the advancement of the gospel. And therefore, Paul says, do not worry about me. And what I find ironic is that while Paul was in prison suffering, he was writing this letter to the church at Ephesus that God was inspiring him to write that God is using at this moment to speak to us. That is an incredible God who has an absolutely incredible plan. Amen? That what looked like defeat for Paul was actually all a part of God's plan so that we could be here this morning reading his word that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and wrote to us as his bride. Our God is sovereign. And we can trust fully in his plan. So the mystery of Christ was revealed according to God's timing. The mystery of Christ was defined according to God's revelation. The mystery of Christ was given to be declared by the church. And then finally, the mystery of Christ was revealed according to God's purpose. So let me ask you two things in response. Number one, have you accepted the mystery of Christ, the gospel for yourself? Have you come to the place where you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Understanding that you are in fact a sinner who is separated from God. But that God chose you before the foundations of the world because he loves you. And God has now called you into his kingdom, into his family.
And all you have to do is put your faith and trust in him. I believe if God's calling you, then God's letting you know he's calling you. He's speaking to your heart. He's calling out to you. And I also believe that God will enable you to answer that call if he's calling. Okay, so if you feel God speaking to your heart, I would encourage you, accept him as your Lord and Savior. Trust him and accept the mystery of Christ, the gospel, for yourself personally. In just a few moments, we're going to stand to sing the hymn of invitation. If you feel God speaking to you, that's a great opportunity for you to come and just say to me, Will, I want to talk with you more about how I can give my heart and life to Christ. Maybe after the service, you feel more comfortable coming to me privately and saying, Will, I want to talk to you about what I can do to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. But I'd love to explain to you further what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Secondly, are you declaring the gospel for the glory of God? It's an honor to be used by God to minister the gospel to others. Amen? God promises that he will even empower us for that which he's called us to do. But God does not force us to do it. We have to be willing to step out in faith and to declare the gospel to others. Amen? And I don't want to beat you up. I want to encourage you. Look for opportunities this week where God can use you to declare the gospel to others. Doesn't necessarily mean walking up to a stranger and telling them about Jesus, although I'd love to hear testimonies of how you did that, amen? Right? It could just be encouraging a fellow church member. It could be discipling one of your children, grandchildren, discipling someone younger than you in the faith, right? It could be witnessing to your neighbor. It could be sharing the gospel at work. It could be just trying to build a relationship with a non-believer so that maybe not this week, but maybe in three weeks, you have a relationship whereby you can share the gospel. But I want to remind you that it is an honor to be used by God to minister the gospel. So let's look for those opportunities. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives and in our midst here this morning. And so, Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that today might be the day that they reach out and, Lord, that they find out what it takes to follow you. That as you call them, you will empower them to respond. And today will be the day that they are saved. And, Lord, I also pray for all of us. Lord, as we leave this place, as we go about our day and our week, Lord, that you would guide and direct our every step. And, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to impact the kingdom for the sake of the gospel. Lord, that you would bring people into our paths that we can minister the gospel to. Lord, whether it's through evangelism and and sharing the gospel or through encouraging them or discipling them, Lord, help us to have an impact for the kingdom this week. And Lord, I pray that as we do so, that you will empower us for that which you have called us to do. And Lord, that you would be glorified, that we would be encouraged, and Lord, that the kingdom would grow. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all that you're going to do in us and through us. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen.